Thank you for listening to this sermon from Arapahoe Road Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the teaching of Dr. David Rogers, lead pastor of Arapahoe Road. For more information about our church and its ministries, please visit arapahoeroad.org. And now, here's Pastor David Rogers. As a young man, I had experienced firsthand and quite often the indignities, the brutality of the Roman occupation, an affront to Israel. Eventually, I uh, joined in with the zealots, spent my nights plotting against the Romans, spent my days taking down names, noting any Jew who, in my opinion, didn't show sufficient hatred for our enemies. I was determined to return Israel to its proper authority. It was black and white. So, why, as an old man, with my hard and uh, certain ways, did I find myself sitting across the table from a man who, who taught the exact opposite of everything I've fought for my entire life? <laughs> I can't answer that with any reasonable explanation. At the meal that night, the Passover meal, I think someone later dubbed it uh, the Last Supper, Jesus gathered all of us around the table, his, his enthusiastic followers. He passed around bread, he poured wine, he spoke unsettling words. This is my blood of the covenant, he said, which is poured out for many. Those words, my blood poured out, they hung in the air. I, of course, was familiar with pouring out blood. I mean, what great cause worth fighting for does not spill some blood? Jesus, I think, had a different idea about what it meant to pour out blood. Well, we all knew, well, I knew anyway, what Messiah was all about. Messiah was coming to bring the sword, to destroy our enemies, to spill their blood. Jesus told us to love them instead. And all the battles I had fought, which for my whole life had seemed so right, just sifted through my hands like dust. And that night, I began to lay it all down, bit by bit, finally, my causes and to simply follow, step by step, follow this man, this curious, curious warrior, Jesus. Before Simon the Zealot was called by Jesus to follow him as one of his 12 disciples, Simon was probably more prone to take a dagger and slit the throat of one of those sinners. <laughs> one of those Gentile sinners, one of those Romans who is defiling the name of God than to set a table, as we saw <laughs> in that little video, and, and invite them to a meal invite them to a conversation. And, and while the Bible is really pretty quiet 
concerning the details of Simon the Zealot, we do know that he became a follower of Jesus whose life was absolutely changed by the Messiah. And we know this because a person cannot be a true follower and a true disciple of Jesus and remain the same person that he or she was before they became a disciple, before they became a follower. And so because of that truth, we can deduce that Simon, he, he, had, he had a reputation, he had a nickname that proclaimed passion and devotion to the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, when, when, when he was called by Jesus to follow him, that fact is actually recorded in the Gospels. Over in Luke chapter 6, verse 15, it states that, that one of the 12 that Jesus called, it says, was Simon, who was called what? The zealot. So Luke tells us that. And yet, over in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 4, and in Mark's Gospel, in Mark 3, verse 18, they identify this feisty disciple like this, Simon the Cananean. Simon the Cananean. Now, the Cananean, that's not a reference to a place like Canaan or Cana, the, the place where Jesus performed his first miracle and turning the water into wine. No, it's an interesting Hebrew word. Uh, the word Canaanian, it comes from the Hebrew word kana, which means to be zealous, to be zealous. So being referred to, think about it with me for a second. Think about this nickname. To, to be referred to as a zealot meant that this person, Simon, he must have been known for how he lived his life, known for living a, a life of piety that is rooted in zeal for God and for the law. You see, zealots, they were known as, as this red-hot patriot group of resistors. They were politically motivated. There's no political motivation going on in our world right now, is it? No. So this has nothing to do with our lives, right? Yeah. More things change the more they stay the same, right? Yeah. This is for us today. Zealots, red-hot patriot group of resistors who were politically motivated. They were, they were willing to take up action to purge their land against their oppressive groups that were coming against them, that were violating everything that they understood God to stand for and what God required. I mean, whatever you think about Putin over in Russia, there's a whole spiritual and religious motivation for why he is doing the things that he's doing. As messed up as it may be, a purging the way he thinks about things. That's Simon. A purging. That's the zealots. A purging. See, zealots they were willing to go to extreme, extreme measures to rid, to resist any foreign influence that oppressed the true Israelite people and polluted the land, polluted the temple with their pagan presence and practices and policies. They'd go to war for that. 
And they'd go to war against the Romans who were their present-day occupiers. Now, we don't know when or where or how Jesus called Simon the Zealot to follow him. We just know that some point along the way, Jesus did. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Think about Jesus and who he's calling to be his 12 disciples. It's really interesting to note that among the other men that Jesus called to be part of his group, the closest of the close, the 12 disciples, one of those disciples was named Matthew. Anybody been watching The Chosen series with us? We've been going through that. Maybe you've seen The Chosen. It's a great, great series. Matthew's character is really, really interesting. Matthew, the tax collector, in cahoots with the Romans to do the financial dirty work of the Romans. All the Jews hated the tax collectors. Everybody hated the tax collectors. But think about it. Jesus calls Matthew, and now he's pairing in Simon the Zealot. That might make for an interesting dinner, yes? Yeah. Pass the carrots. Ooh! Gotcha. I mean, that, that's what Simon the Zealot's thinking. I'll pay you back with a dagger between your ribs, you sorry dog, oppressing our people. How could you? And yet Jesus sees something in both of these men. Follow me. Let's have a meal together. Jesus, Jesus found it best to call disciples from, from across the spectrum of Jewish society. Whosoever, right? Calls across the spectrum to follow him. And so while a zealot like Simon and a tax collector like Matthew may not initially be best buddies, man, when they start following Jesus, they learn to live together. They learn to love one another. That they both would be under this echo that was coming forth from their rabbi, Jesus, and what he came preaching in the first place. This is what Jesus came preaching right here. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Would you say this first word with me? Repent. Say it one more time. Repent. Say it like you mean it. Repent. Repent. The word repent is a powerful, powerful word that describes what must have happened to this disciplined and staunch zealot like Simon. Repent is a Greek word, metanoia. We've talked about this ad nauseum over the last decade. Because it's such an important word. Repent, metanoia, means to rethink the way you think about something and then go in another direction because of that. And so think about this for a second. Everything that Simon the Zealot had learned, he's now got to what? He's got to unlearn it. He's got to rethink his whole life. He's got to reconsider, course correct, if he's going to move in the direction that Jesus the Messiah was leading him and others toward, which is a future ahead of them, not a past behind them. Right? Yeah. And so for Simon to, to follow Jesus, 
and to, to lay down a dagger that had been used to, to shed blood and instead to pick up the towel of a servant and serve people and wash their feet as he would see his master, his Messiah, his rabbi Jesus do at the Last Supper. Man, that's a rethinking of the way Simon thought about life. And now he's going to move in a whole new direction. I mean, think about it. Instead of, instead of planning ways to eliminate people, the people who came under the banner, the Romans had a, a theme, Pax Romana. Anybody know what that means? The peace of Rome. The peace of Rome. Yeah, right. Be at peace now. That's what they felt. The peace of Rome. Are you kidding me? It, it's, it's breaking me in pieces, but there's no peace. No, no. Now Simon's got to rethink the way he's thinking about things because this one that he's now following is saying, blessed are the what? The peacemakers. He's here in Pax Romana, peace of Rome. Blessed are the peacemaker. Simon's head is spinning. His heart is reeling because of this Pax Romana. And that is an oppression to the shalom. What does shalom mean? Peace. God's highest goodness when the kingdom comes. That's the common greeting, peace. Peace be with you, shalom. And now he's got shalom and Pax Romana and blessed are the peacemakers and he's spinning round and round. And now this fascinating rabbi named Jesus is calling him and he's calling others to be a peacemaker in the land, but not with swords, not with daggers, not with violence. How could he love his enemies and pray for those who persecute him and his people and yet stay true to his core? The fact is, he couldn't. He couldn't. So what does that mean? He's got to rethink the way he thinks about his own worldview, about his own identity, while being willing to lay down his life and all that he knew about his life in order to move in a new direction as Jesus was teaching and as Jesus was leading before him. In fact, what Simon would have to do regarding repentance is actually what another zealous disciple of Jesus, who was a little late to the, to the first party, would write about. His name was Paul. Anybody ever heard of the Apostle Paul? No one more zealous than him. No one more zealous than Paul. He was known as an incredibly zealous person for God and for the law beyond anybody else that we 
know about in Scripture. Turn with me, if you would, over to one of the letters that Paul wrote, the letter of Philippians. Philippians, kind of towards the back of your Bible. We'll be in Philippians 3, just a few verses this morning. And I want you to notice what Paul writes concerning people rethinking the way they must think about their life and moving in a new direction as followers of Jesus. The, the passage that we want to focus on in Philippians 3 is, is from verse 12 to verse 16. And in this part of the letter, Paul is discussing what being a follower of Jesus means regarding just the ongoing change that takes place in a person's life and how they live and how they think about everything. And so he's writing about how his own process of being a disciple of Jesus is still underway and is leading Paul toward becoming the person that Jesus always wanted him to be as one of his followers. So we pick it up in Philippians chapter 3. Verse 12 through 16 says this, Paul's writing, Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead... I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you hear him talking about the way we think about things? This is how you think? Yeah, this is how you think. It, it ties in with repentance, metanoia, which means what? To rethink the way you think about things and move in a new direction. So in this part of Paul's letter, Paul is using some language here uh, that, that connects to the sport of running as an athletic competition. Love watching it, hate doing it. It always seemed like punishment to me. But for those who are for it, I'm for you. Just don't ask me to join you, okay? Um, I'll, I'll cheer you on. But Paul's going, hey, whether you like to run or don't like to run, let me just give you an analogy to connect with here, okay? What Paul is suggesting in this part of his letter is that that all followers of Jesus, all Christians are like athletes who are running in a race. Whatever your pace might be, okay, you're running in a race, okay? No hamstring pulls right now. We're all in the race. Everybody's in the race. And we're all sprinting as best we can toward the finish line. And in verse 13, in verse 13, Paul, he stresses that it is so Vitally important that we concentrate on, on the one aim that is in our sights. That we keep going towards and forwards toward the goal. Did you catch that in verse 13? Look what he says here. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining where? Forward. To what lies where? Ahead. Not behind. But where? Ahead. Forward. Ahead. What he's, what he's saying here is that we've got to forget the past 
And we've got to press forward to what is ahead. This is a critical perspective, not only for disciples of Jesus like Paul and Simon the Zealot, but for you and you and you and you and all of you online and me. If you're a follower of Jesus, Paul's talking to you and he's talking to me. He's saying, we've got to rethink the way we think about things and move in a new direction. And what Paul is writing about in this line with with moving forward, it, it is so echoing what Jesus came preaching at the beginning of his public ministry that we looked at a moment ago. Repent. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Rethink the way you think about all of your life and move in a new direction. He's saying we have to press on, not back, on. And yet, pressing on does not mean eliminating everybody in our path that seems to be a hurdle to reaching the goal. That is not what Jesus nor Paul is advocating for. We got to keep running. Nowhere does Jesus advocate violence towards those who seemingly are in our way. No matter how zealous that person may be. He's saying we've all got room to grow, yes? May I ask that question again? We've all got room to grow, yes? Yes. We've all got room to run, yes? We all have room to bring peace to the place and to the race, yes? I can imagine if Jesus was at the Grammys, he and Will might have had a conversation. Will. The slap heard around the world. I think he'd say to Will, he'd probably say to Chris, he'd probably say to anybody else, we need to rethink the way we're thinking about things and move in a new direction. Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peace. It's a whole new way of thinking for a zealot like Simon. And yet the more that he followed Jesus, the more he began to rethink the way he thought about his approach to his zealous life. And so what Paul is talking about here in this verse and in this passage, he's, he says true maturity is knowing that you haven't arrived yet and that you've got to keep pressing forward to the goal that is before you. If you've been following Jesus a long time, you know you're not done yet, right? If you're not dead, you're not done. So keep pressing toward the goal. Simon, Simon, he, he, he's got a whole new lane to run in if he's going to follow the ways and the words of Jesus. And any runner knows, even those who aren't runners, but will sit there and applaud the runners... We all know the race isn't over until you cross the finish line. Yeah, we know that. 
If you find yourself out in front, well, good job. But that just means what? Everybody's chasing you. Or maybe they're just pacing you. And they're waiting for just the right time to pick up the pace, pass you, and cross the finish line first, right? Yeah. So if you're going to take home the gold, you got to keep the pace, and then you got you to keep straining and striving forward, knowing the race isn't over till your chest hits the tape, till you cross the line first. That's what Paul's saying here in verse 16. Look what he says here in verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. We've got the lead. Keep going. Keep going. If you've still got another lap to go, keep going. Keep going, Simon, just like Paul and all other believers in Jesus. We're encouraged to hold on to what we've learned that is true and to keep moving forward into the future that Jesus has in mind for all of his followers while forgetting what lies behind. Let's talk about that for a second. Some of us have a really hard time forgetting what lies behind. And, and, and perhaps Simon the Zealot did too. You and Simon are probably more alike than you give yourself credit for. You may not have a dagger ready to plunge into somebody's ribs, but boy, you and Simon are thinking about the way you grew up and what happened in your past to get you to the place that you are right now. And Simon's now trying to figure out his footing, and maybe you are too. However, even Simon had to forget about what was behind him if he was going to move forward with Jesus into the future. He he had to consider, how am I going to redirect this to this? The knife of violence and aggression to the towel of service, just like the Savior. Something had to change. Something had to be rethought. We had to move in a new direction. Simon had to forget what was behind him and keep moving forward into the future that Jesus had called him to. Let me give you another metaphor to hang on to. Anybody know what this is? What kind of mirror? Rear view. Rear view goes where? Right in front of your face. So that you can see what? Everything that's where? Behind you. See, oftentimes in our lives, it's it's like somebody's put a, a rear view mirror on our forehead or just in front of us to keep everything that's behind us in view. Maybe it's something that somebody did to you that you can't quit looking at what happened in the past. Be reminded of it. Every time you, you're trying to drive forward, but you keep looking here and you keep looking at what's going on behind you. Or, or, or maybe it's, it's something that somebody said to you in the past. Maybe, maybe it's something in the past that you did or that you said And you can't get it out of your view. It keeps rolling around in your mental sight lines. 
And now you, you've waited too late and you can't go back and make things right. Maybe it's a deep regret that happened years ago and that to this day it still haunts you. And for so many people, it's as if they are living the majority of their life looking in the rearview mirror at what's behind them. And as that happens, the enemy, the devil, Satan, he just, he just keeps whispering to you. Look at that part of your past when you got pushed off track. Remember that? Mm. Man, I remember that. Mm. Yeah. You were running so well, and then you just put it in the ditch. You, you just fishtailed all over, and, and you never did course correct. Can you believe your past? Can you believe all that carnage that's still behind you? You know, you're never going to reach the finish line with a past like that. We call people like you losers. Tell you what, you might as well quit looking ahead and put the blinker on and just park your life on the side of the road and let everybody who really is running Pass you. What happened back there should disqualify you from even finishing the race that you've been in. Just bow out right now and do everybody a favor. And you have never been able to forget the past. Like Paul encourages followers of Jesus to do. I mean, as you think about that, maybe the, the theme song over your life is a, a song that the band U2 wrote several years ago that says, you got stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. And the Apostle Paul, man, a great runner of this race, of following zealously after God, he reminds us, he reminds us that all the runners of this perspective in, in verses 13 and 14, this is what we should be about. This is how we should think about life. Look at verse 13 and 14 again. Brother, sister, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What, what Paul is saying here is that he just had to make a break from his past. And everything that kept coming into focus of the rearview mirror, he had to just let that go. And trust that to the Lord Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind. Do you realize where the cancel culture started? It started at Calvary on the cross. When Paul would later write in Colossians 2... About verses 13, 14, and 15, that on the cross what Jesus did was cancel the written code of all of our wrongs. And he left it and disarmed it at the cross. 
In other words, he ripped the rearview mirror off of life and said, no more. It is windshield forward from here on out. That's why I died. That's why I went to the tomb was to deal with everything in your rearview mirror. Oh yeah, and everything in your present and everything in the future. You put the mirror anywhere you want to, it's done. And the cross canceled it all. That's why Peter would go on to say in Acts chapter 3 about verse 19, repent that your sins may be blotted out. You know what that word in the Greek also can be translated as? Canceled. Somebody who's had their past canceled can speak going forward about the cancellation that needs to happen for you. The rear view mirror that needs to be ripped off. The cross broke it all. That means the good, the bad, the ugly back there, forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Paul's saying all my religious achievements, gone. All my great deeds, gone. My religious pedigree, doesn't matter anymore. Everything is before me. I've got to think differently. All my achievements and all my sins, all gone. All my missed opportunities, gone. All the times I messed up in the race of life, gone. All that's been covered by Jesus has been taken care of. It's a race to the finish now. Just don't get ahead of the pace car. See, when Jesus called Simon to follow him, He too was now on a new path to a new future that would enable him to leave his past in the past. Simon didn't know it at the time, but the path that was going to cover everything was a path that led to the cross where Jesus would lay down his life. Man, I'm telling you, when Jesus got nailed to the cross, this came down off everybody's view. Because of Jesus' sacrificial death, our past, our sins got dealt with permanently on that day. Did it leave scars? Oh, yeah. Did it minimize the hurt? No, but it redeemed it. It redeemed it. It made something that was ashy in your life beautiful once again. Yeah. Sure, there's evidence that's still there that something happened back then. But I get to make a choice and you get to make a choice. I get to to choose to leave that death of yesterday. I get to allow it, if I choose to, to stay dead and stay in the path. If I choose to trust the Lord and move forward with Him into a new day. Leave the death of the past in the past. Anybody ever watch the movie Lonesome Dove? You probably read the book. I watched the movie. I was reading all kinds of theology books when that movie was out. And I didn't have time to read it, but I watched it. 
old western movie about a couple of cowboys that drive a cattle herd from Texas up to Montana. And Captain Woodrow Call says this about death. He says this, the best thing you can do with death is ride off from it. That's a good word for people today who need to ride off from the death of their past. And some of us today need to refocus on what's before us rather than what is behind us so that we can start moving forward. Would you give yourself permission to trust what the Apostle Paul is writing about and forget what is behind that may have been holding you back so that you can strain forward to what lies ahead. In other words, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you and Jesus must come together and deal with the death of your past. He's waiting on you to get there. He's already there. And realize that your sin and everything that was not of God, that's all in your rear view mirror, that all got put to death at the cross, buried in the tomb with the death of Christ. Now, leave them buried. Walk out of the tomb in the power and the resurrection of Jesus and begin to ride off from the death of your past. That's what Paul's talking about there. In the middle of Philippians 3.13, look again what he says, and straining where? Forward to what lies ahead. Straining forward does not mean stay seated at the tomb with your past. Move forward, friends. Move forward. Straining forward. Straining forward. Straining forward. Underline that phrase, straining forward. It's such a rich word in the Greek. It describes the muscle that's being stretched to the limit before it's about to break or about to tear. It's what you see runners doing at the finish line. They what? They, they lean. They strain forward. This is make it or break it time. Sometimes it gets broken, but they make it. It's the straining forward. That's what Paul's saying. Strain forward. Strain forward. That runner's straining forward with all of her might, all of his might, uh, until you feel like you're about to break. That's how you feel some days, right? Man, get me to the weekend. I'm straining and it's only Monday. We keep moving forward. We keep straining. And let's just be honest, some days... They're more of a strain than other days, yes? Yeah. You're like, day, nothing. This has been a month or a year or a decade I've been straining. Paul goes, keep straining. Don't put it in the ditch. Keep straining. Don't reattach. Leave leave the past in the past. Right off from that death. Right off from that death. Paul, Jesus, if Simon were here, he'd say keep moving forward. 
keep moving forward? Will you choose to move forward today? Let me invite you to do something. Would you take your phone out? If you've got a phone, I want to invite you to take a, a couple of pictures of some questions on the screen. If you didn't bring a phone, you can jot them down. Think about these three questions for a moment. The first one is this. What do you need to do to move forward today? Take a picture of that. What do you need to do to move forward today? Second question is this. Who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to forgive today? Great definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is giving up all hope of ever having a better past. Whatever's in the rearview mirror is not going to ever look better. It's giving up all hope of ever having a better past. So who do you need to forgive today? And then a third question is this. What needs to happen for you to remove the rearview mirror? What needs to happen for you to remove the rearview mirror and to begin today that you're going to make a choice to focus on the life before you rather than the one that's behind you. That you're going to say, I'm looking through the windshield and not the rearview mirror anymore. Perhaps what the words of Louis Giglio that have meant so much to me, I've shared them to you dozens of times over the last 11 plus years. They're words that he spoke in 1989 at Mount Lebanon Baptist Encampment when I was a sophomore in high school. The theme of the week was free the fire. It was out of Jeremiah 20 verse 9. And he, he makes an acronym out of fire. F-I-R-E. Which stands for forget the past. It's under the blood. Receive his love and power and enter the battle. It stuck with me all these decades later and has helped me to keep straining forward and looking through the windshield rather than constantly reattaching the rearview mirror to see what's behind me. See, if we will approach each day with the truth of fire, forgetting the past, it's under the blood, receive Jesus' love and power and enter the battle, enter the race. There is the on-ramp. It's right behind Jesus in the pace car. we'll live this, we'll become who he wants us to be. We'll get there. We'll cross the finish line, just like Simon the Zealot, just like the Apostle Paul. You and I can't follow Jesus and remain the same person that we were back then. So may we be different as we move forward with the zeal 
of the Lord as we seek to follow Jesus and be peacemakers in our world today. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Feel free to distribute this recording, but please do not sell or alter it in any way. For more information about Arapahoe Road Baptist Church, please visit our website at arapahoeroad.org. Arapahoe Road Baptist Church is located at 2256 Arapahoe Road in Garland, Texas, with Sunday morning worship service at 1045 a.m. We hope you'll join us this week. <music>